0: We are finishing up a series called Collateral Beauty this morning. And don't feel like, oh, well, I missed the other ones. What am I doing here? Uh, I'm sure I'll wrap all that up for you, okay, in a nice little bow. But uh, we're finishing the series called Collateral Beauty, and it comes from the movie Collateral Beauty, um, which uh, you probably haven't seen because it got like a 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, this is not a glowing endorsement of Collateral Beauty, but there's some questions asked in the movie that I thought are extremely pertinent to our discussion about easter about who we are about life and it's the questions that he's talking about in that video what do we do with love what do we do with time what do we do with death these are questions that everyone who's ever lived asks i can imagine cavemen out underneath the stars kind of going what does it all mean all right They didn't have to watch, they didn't get Netflix so they could think about these things a lot more. But they just, these ideas, these questions of what do we do with our time? How do we love? And what is death? They're questions we all have to wrestle with. And as we talk about Easter, all these questions are answered in the Easter happenings. What happens there, what Jesus does... It influences how we answer the questions of, of love and of time and of death. When I watched the movie, I was struck by the idea um, well, of these people, these characters meandering around the, the, the script for a couple hours, not being able to find an answer to these questions, not being able to find how, what the would come to any sort of real, real resolution to these questions. They're so devoid of hope that they're not finding the answers to love and to time and to death. And I started thinking about that as I was just kind of pondering it. I thought, wow. The answer to all these questions is found through the hope and the love of Jesus. And that might sound rote and like, oh, okay, well, that's a nice little Sunday school answer. But When I started thinking about how this is all answered, it's the hope of Jesus Christ that I have a hope that this isn't all there is. I have a hope that there's a future for me. I have a hope that there's a future for my kids. I have a hope that no matter how hard life is right now, that it does get better and that it will get better. I also have a hope that no matter how stinky my job is, God has called me to do something more. That no matter how hard my home life is, that God has a calling for my life, that there is something more. And that hope fills me with the answers of how do I love? I love extravagantly. How do I fill my time? I make every second count. And how do I deal with death? I know death isn't the end. It's just a beginning. And that all comes from my relationship with Christ. These questions, we long for love. We wish we had more time, and we fear death. They're all answered in this idea of collateral beauty. It's the collateral beauty of Easter. It's that Jesus does this one thing, this big, huge thing, death on the cross, and then defeating death, rising from the grave, the the ripples from that, the collateral beauty in that is that we can deal with love and time and death in a healthy way. Collateral beauty is when love invades your life, your heart, and soul, and it changes your environment. Easter is collateral beauty. And I love that Easter happens at springtime because it is as if all of creation is participating in the Easter story right now. Especially living in the north. It's not so much. I lived in Georgia for 10 years. The seasons, because there's two, hot and then mildly hot, right? So there's only two seasons, so you don't get this this renewing of everything like you do here. Uh, here, winter is bleak, if you hadn't noticed. Everything looks dead, even if it's alive. It looks dead, right? I have shrubs in my front yard that I, I was like, oh, I killed them. I killed them dead. I cut them back so bad. They are dead, 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 dead. And this week, an explosion of life, daffodils are fighting through the mulch in the grass to say, "Here I am! I want to be beautiful." Something we thought was dead comes alive. This is what spring is. God has created creation to say, "You know what? I'm going to tell the Jesus story this way. I'm going to tell the Jesus story this way. I'm going to tell the Jesus." story in the shrubs. I'm going to tell the story uh, Jesus story in the robins that leave. It seems like no birds are here. And then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and the sound of life is echoing through the windows. This is Easter. What was dead now comes back to life. Eternal life means you get to go to heaven. Eternal living means you get to bring people with you. This is our thought for today. This encompasses the Christian experience. Internal life means you get to go to heaven. This is a big deal. This is what Easter is about. But that's only half of Easter. The second half of Easter, the post-resurrection Jesus, is all about how we live our lives, how we're supposed to orient our time and our love and our life from now on. Easter is the main point of eternal life means you get to go to heaven. But then after that, it says, but that's not all. But wait, there's more. Eternal living means you get to bring people with you. We're going to spend the rest of our time explaining this thought today. What does this eternal life mean? Why is Jesus here? What, what is happening? We talk a lot about the sacrifice and the death of Jesus. I've been to a thousand church services, Jared. I don't really know what's going on. My grandma made me come. Right? What, what does this all mean? I've answered this question several times to this week of why why is Jesus on the cross even? I get it. I mean, I've seen it. I watched the show. I, I did the thing. I watched the behind the scenes on the History Channel, which will really mess you up. Uh, But what what does this all mean? I want to break it down for you. Maybe you've never heard it this way. Maybe you've been a Christian for 60 years. And you're like, ah, that's what this is really about. So I want to make it very simple for you today. Because this is something that really has helped me understand what the cross is all about. And the ancient Jewish system of sacrifice laid out in the Torah, which is the first five books of the the Bible, okay? We're up here. In Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, in in these books is laid out what you're supposed to do when sin happens. What is sin? Sin actually means to miss the mark. Like an archer, whoop, just missed, right? You're, you're, I think Kevin went uh, shooting yesterday with his friends. I texted him. I said, are you okay? Did one of your friends shoot you? Because I was a little scared. Um, <laughs> you don't know his friends like I do. <laughs> so, And he's like, fine, I'm good. All right, But when you miss the mark, that is sin. You just messed up. You did something. You got caught up into greed, into gossip, into lying, into cheating, into whatever, some addiction. It's missing the mark. That is sin. Well, here's the deal with God. God is perfect goodness. He cannot coincide with sin. It, it, it doesn't happen. So every time there's sin, there is a separation between you and God. This has been a truth for the whole Scripture, for thousands and thousands of years. And so a system, God puts a system in place in which to bridge that gap, to restore that relationship. And this is where the sacrifices of animals came from. And so what happened is you or the priest would put their hand on the sacrificial animal. You know, if it's a big sin or for community, it's for a lamb. And so you'd put your hand on the lamb and then you would cut its throat and it would die okay we're getting a little, really rated R version of the of the thing but we're we're cutting we're cutting we're killing the lamb and that sin of yours of your community of whatever's going on is transferred to the lamb so the lamb is paying the penalty for your mess up okay this, this is this is why what's going on there and then that lamb is then burned on the altar to consume it and that would be a fragrant offering to God, God's saying, okay, I love that smell because that smell means our relationship is restored. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. And so when Jesus comes and he's on the cross, he's acting, you may have heard this, the Lamb of God, he is acting as taking on all of that sin, past, present, future sin. He's taking it all on himself. And when he dies, all that sin has been transferred onto him. And that's why it's so important that the death happens, but also the resurrection. Because he said, listen, guys, listen, you gave me your worst, your worst in the past, the worst in the present, and the worst in the future. And I overcame it all. I defeated it all. So when we talk about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's very easy for me to be like, oh yeah, he gave his son. He came down and taught me stuff. It was great. He told me to love people. This guy is really cool, a great teacher. That's not what this means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not Believes stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What does this mean? This means what he sent his son, not as a great teacher, not as a rabbi, not as a, as a, a philosopher, but as one who will take on the sins. He, he gives his son as the great sacrifice. So this even changes but maybe even how we thought about John 3.16 something maybe we've all heard, we've all seen on Tim Tebow's face. But it changes it, that God sent his only son, not just to to teach us stuff or how to live better, but to be the sacrifice that would bridge the gap, that would restore us. This is resurrection day. This is the day in which we get to celebrate the life and the death and the coming back of Christ. And the coming of Jesus as Lord, our life, our life in our life, we do several things. We do a couple of things when we're trying to understand what it means for God to be the Savior of us. When we say, God, I submit to you. I believe in you. I want you to restore me. I want you to save me. This bridges that gap. We, we, we engage in Christ as our Savior. And we are made clean in him. The sin, the missing, the mark, the stuff gets erased. But that has a more of a reaction behind it. That gives us Eternal life. The action of, of saving us happens when we say, God, I want to submit to you. But then God, after his resurrection, Jesus, after his re- resurrection, orients all of his story, all of his teaching time, of now, what do you do with your time? Now that you are saved, now, what do you do? And in all of the gospels, it's oriented, uh, different stories of this, but it's all oriented after the resurrection, now, you got to go do this. you got to go do this. And that's why I say eternal life means you get to go to heaven. Eternal living means you get to bring people with you. For Jesus, how he answers the question, what do we do with love? What do we do with time? How we deal with death is by giving us mission, by giving us a purpose. For Jesus, life is enjoying the second chance. For Jesus, life is enjoying the second chance. If you look at His disciples, they are a motley crew of screw-ups. They are not the best and brightest. It wasn't like Jesus went to Harvard and was like, "All right, give me the Val Victorians here." He went to like the high school dropouts were like, "All right, kids, let's go have some fun. I'm going to want you to change the world. Have you have you met me? Like I don't like Peter's mother-in-law is just in shock that Peter's picked. You know the, the whole thing is like, what is happening. So what is going on is Jesus picks the motleyest of crews. He, he <laughs> I had to laugh at myself. Sorry. Uh, he picks just the junkiest of guys to do this because he's the king of second chances. Who he picks. You're like, who, who are you talking about, Jared? He picks Matthew, the tax collector, the guy who wrote Matthew, the gospel. Well, to be a tax collector, basically you are a mob boss. That's how you collected taxes is you were you t- turned into a Corleone. OK, you had to do these kinds of things where it was just this mob boss mentality of I'm going to take and I'm going to take and I'm going to take and I'm going to take. So he takes and redeems a tax collector to change the world. A mob boss to change the world. Simon the zealot. Who's the zealot? The zealot is basically a first century terrorist. So he goes, he's like, hey, I want want one of these guys from ISIS, and we're gonna go change the world with him. This is who Jesus is picking, not who I would pick, not who's in the who's who of graduates of high school. This is who he's saying. And these teenage boys that are just crazy. Peter, who's already probably flunked out of some stuff, he's a fisherman. You have Judas who's gonna betray him. He knows. Can you imagine? Judas, he walks up to Judas for the first time. He sees probably this 15 year old punk kid. He walks up to Judas and knows, You're gonna be the one that puts me on a cross. I have a hard enough time not smacking junior high boys myself when I like them. <laughs> Jesus, son of God, because of that. All right, that's, I know, I know, proof. Um, he knows Jesus is king of second chances, and he knows life is enjoying the second chance. John 21, verse 15 through 17. This is after Jesus as rose from the grave. Peter doesn't know what to do with himself, so he just goes fishing. He's like, I- I'm out. It's a great man's response. I can't emotionally deal with what's going on here. I'm going fishing, and I'm going home. That's what, that's what he does. See, so it's in the Bible, guys. We can do this. as a, as a Well, Peter did it. Peter's running away from Jesus. I don't know if you want to use that as a cited page. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, Peter goes fishing and he's up at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes and finds him. And this is their interaction. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus is the king of second chances because just a couple few weeks before, Peter had denied Jesus. People say, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus? Nope, nope, not me. Another guy. Don't know who you're talking about. Denied him three times. When Jesus is getting basically flogged 40 meters away from him, Peter's just standing there, don't notice me. Aren't you, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, no. And the guilt of that, weighing on his heart that he abandoned his master when he needed him the most, has got to be weighing on Peter, just breaking his heart. And so Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. And he restores him and he sets him on mission. This is the last thing that John talks about in his gospel. Isn't that beautiful? This is what John wants to wrap up the gospel with. What he wants to wrap, he's, John, the writer of the gospel of John is at the end of his life. He's probably about 90 years old in prison. He's hanging out. He's, right. he's like, okay, everybody else is dead. Everybody else has been crucified or stoned or hit with a spear. I'm the last one left. This is what they missed in their writings. I got to finish it up. He wants, like, this is his magnum opus. This is the, the, the last thing he wants to impart to people. That this Jesus, he's the king of second chances. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've screwed up. Do you love me? You know I love you feed my lambs. Not only does he restore Peter, but he gives him purpose. Go do this Peter. Go do it. All the rest of the gospels have the great commission. You will be my disciples, or my witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will go and make disciples. That's basically what all the rest of them say. Okay, you guys have gotten eternal life. Now, go take people with you. John gives this intimate view of what that looks like for Peter. All right, Peter, I know you messed up. Now go feed my lambs. Go feed my sheep. Go do it. Eternal life means you get to go to heaven. Eternal living means you get to bring people with you. Jesus knows that life is making the most of an opportunity. Peter is restored, and then he's told, go feed my sheep. It's the same calling that you have. It's the same calling that I have. It's the same calling that that we, we share with the disciples, to go and feed the sheep, go and do something. That eternal life means... Sorry, eternal life means you get to go to heaven. Eternal living means you get to bring people with you. This is the calling and the purpose of your life. No matter where you work, no matter what you find yourself at, no matter what restaurant you you find yourself eating at, you don't know if you're in downtown Chicago, if you're in Rockdale, if you're in Plainfield, it doesn't matter. The calling on your life is to feed the sheep. Eternal life means you get to go to heaven which is amazing and awesome and wonderful. But eternal living that God calls us to after the resurrection is you get to bring people with you. We talk to them. We share the gospel with them. Share that they've not too far gone, that God loves them and cares for them and has a plan for their life. Let me say, Jared, you don't, you're talking to the wrong guy. I got stuff. I don't know. I got, I got things upon things. I got, I got excuses upon excuses. I got stuff in my past that you never would believe. Were you a terrorist? Because that's who God called. Were you a betrayer? Because that's who God called. Were you a mob boss? Which would make some, for some really interesting stories. But were you a mob boss? Because that's who God called to change the world. You are not too far Gone. God has a plan to restore you. He's done everything to restore you already. All you have to do is say, God, I want to participate in that. I want to love you. I believe in you. God sent his only begotten son. When he says that, it's not just some platitude, something that we put on our walls or some vinyl sticker. It's thinking that God sent his son to be the redeemer, to be the sacrifice, to restore us to life. Eternal life means you get to go to heaven, and eternal living means you get to bring people with us. Your life doesn't have to be small. It can have meaning. It doesn't have to be going the way it is. It can change eternity. I believe that for myself. I believe that for my kids. I believe that for each and every one of you, that no matter where you find yourself, whether you're a student, a kid, a worker, whatever, a small business owner, whatever that is, Your life has greater meaning than what you do with the work of your hands. Because when you live for Christ in your everyday, when you show people redemption, whatever you do lives on and echoes for eternity. Maybe you need a second chance this morning. You know that you need to experience new life. For you, you know that you need to experience this hope that that life can mean something more, that life can be grander than this. See, without experiencing Jesus, we come to church. I know lots of people have come to church for a long time, but they've never actually submitted their lives to Christ. They've never experienced like, okay, God, I believe that you were on the cross, that you paid for all of my sins. I just want to hear about how to, to do life. I don't, I don't want to hear about all that stuff. I just need help with my marriage or my, my money. Or, or Give me the practical stuff. And we talk about a lot of practical stuff here at the church. But the basis, the most important foundational stone is that Jesus will stop at nothing to have relationship with you. So far in which he will put himself under the worst torture man has ever created to have relationship with you to take your sin so I can say, I can be with you. Eternal life means you get to go to heaven. Eternal living means you get to bring people with you. Maybe that's you this morning. You go, I want something more. I know there's something grander. I know there's something better for me out there. And I find myself in a place just wanting and longing for more. Maybe if you've watched Collateral Beauty, you've, you, you feel the way those guys do that, There's not that much hope. But in Jesus, the answer to how we love gets answered. We love deeper. We forgive bigger. We love more. How do we deal with our time? We spend it well. We number the minutes and go, how do I live the best right now? How do I deal with death? I know that death is not the end but it's just a beginning. That's what it means to be a Christian. That I can have hope, that I can have victory over all these big life questions. They're not that hard anymore. This is you this morning. If you want to answer those questions, you want to experience Jesus maybe for the first time in your life, I ask you to pray with me. If everybody in the church would just bow their heads. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done God, right now, this Easter time, we, we submit our lives to you. Right here and right now, God, I ask for you to move in our hearts. God, that you would take my sin, my stuff. The things that I found myself in, this hole that I've, I've dug myself in, there, that you would help me out. God, that I would have a a real knowledge of what your grace is, of what the cross is. That you love me. That you saved me. God, as we are in this moment, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my shame. I want to give you my guilt. God, in this moment, I want to make you king of my life. And I want to say thank you. Lord, will you help me reorient my life so it's on mission for you. That the redemption is solidified in my heart, that I, I can hold on to the truths, that you have a hope and a future for me. That my end is not in destruction, but is in eternal life with you. God, may I grasp onto that, may I hold on to that as I face my weak as I face those people, as I face that situation, that I know my hope is in you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, how you've moved, how you've redeemed, and how you've restored. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.